The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affect all of us in and out of the ACB community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona, and we are here every Sunday at 1 p.m. and podcasting just about, I don't know, half hour or so after we go off air at 3. Next week is part of the ACB Leadership um, and Legislative Seminars, so there will not be a new show next week. I will rerun one of my fabulous shows from the last couple of months, and then we will be back on, I believe it is the 20th, but um, we'll be back the following Sunday. If you haven't registered for Leadership Legislative, there still is time. Head, head over to acb.org. Um, and if you are participating, the fabulous um, digest that I put together with the help of Tim Cummings is available every four or five hours on ACB Media 2, along with all of the advocacy updates that Clark and Swatha, that Clark and Swatha did on our four imperatives. And speaking of Clark and... A little bit later on, I will be speaking, we will be speaking with Claire Stanley. Um, later in the show, Debbie and Lori, Debbie Grubb and Lori Scharf are back to talk about some stuff as far as helping out our kids, um, whether they are ours naturally, ours by niece or nephew, or ours just out of love. There's a lot that we can do to make sure that they get the education and the the tools that they need to be the most successful as they go from kids to adults. So I'm really excited about this show. And as always, I'm here with my executive producer, buddy, co-host, whatever you want to call him. It's the fabulous Byron Lee. Oh, wait, what? It, it, it's it, it's 12. Do I need to be awake right now? Um, oh, hi. <laughs> hi, hi. <laughs> anything, um, anything new and exciting with you or the fun zone or anything you want to shout out on Sunday edition? Um, well, I just started working out at a place called Sulcana, which is a independently owned gym here in Minneapolis. And uh, it's woman owned and queer owned. And uh, it's just like a really safe space. And uh, it's it's so cool. Half of the people in my beginner class, when they asked, you know, what are your pronouns? About half of them said they, them. So I was like, oh, yeah, I found it. I found my space. So I've uh, been yeah. really enjoying that. So uh, as far as the fun zone, I'm not sure what we're doing today. I haven't I haven't figured that one out yet. Maybe we'll maybe we'll do like a show about exercise. I don't know. We'll see. Let's get physical. Yeah, physical. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, last week we had an exclusive and Chris Snyder is back to share some of the behind the scenes from the SAG AFTRA Awards. Chris, I am so glad that you got up early for us and, <laughs> and here you are. So tell us how much fun was it? How nerve wracking was it? Did you ever lose the butterflies during, you know, the actual broadcasting? Welcome. Uh -huh. 
<laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I'll tell you, um, all through, well, first of all, whenever you put together uh, an award show like that, they inevitably there's chaos even on the day of it's it's never it doesn't just you know people don't have everything assembled the day before and go ah okay everything's cool we're ready to go it doesn't work that way yeah. um, it, it is it is it is chaos all the way up to the event even if as in this case you do a uh dress run through uh we we actually they they were revising some of the clips for the show up to the run through of of the uh of it <laughs> so and and like for example during the run through um that happened at 11:30 uh cuz the show started at 5 at the run through um the clip a couple of the clips were actually different they when they were using them they were different than the ones that actually showed up in the show it was it was freaking bizarre um, I didn't realize it was going to be quite that chaotic, but um, I'll tell you that the the nervousness was intense. It was extraordinarily intense because, first of all, I'm I'm the first blind person to ever like be on air in a situation like that in a live setting, and and you just you really want to do your best not to screw it up. Uh, well, that was going through my head, and and there was a lot of uh, a lot of butterflies. As, he as Helen Mirren, uh, Helen Mirren said in her um, acceptance speech for the Lifetime Achievement Award, she said, "You know, uh, the the butterflies and and the trips to the bathroom." <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was like, yeah, yep, 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 and and. And, and, and you know when I got when we got to the to the show, uh, like three of the clips were different than than what we were receiving. The good news is that um, when the show goes up to HBO Max with description, um, I have the chance to fix the clips so that they're accurate because they're you know it's it's a static thing now. It's set. So Inquiring Minds want to know, and unfortunately, um, JC is on another project and was not able to join us today, but everybody wants to know, did she get to say hi to Helen Mirren? She didn't. Oh, she didn't. Wow. We were, we, we, um, I was, I was kind of hoping, I was kind of hoping we'd be able to meet a, a star or two, but sadly, um, we, we were firmly in crew territory and there was no, um, even even the uh, the crafts table at the run through uh, where people went to go eat uh, didn't have didn't have uh, the stars didn't show up there. They had their own situation, I no. guess. But but I'll say this: the crew on that show were the kindest, most professional, most team oriented people I've ever had the pleasure to work with. And that's saying something because I've been doing this stuff for 20 years and they are just, they were absolutely stellar. They were very kind. They were, um, they, you know, nobody was out there, you know, infighting or anything like that. I was listening to the crew channel, um, 
the whole time through the performance and these guys were just on it and they were just working their butts off to provide um, an extraordinary experience for everybody and they were they were just tremendous so folks we're gonna take a few questions um (laughs) and if you want to ask chris a question and pop that hand up um i gotta ask you two a would you if the grammys or the uh the oscars (laughs) came a calling um would you do it again and what kind of feedback have you gotten um well i don't know yes i would do it again um the oscars uh maybe (laughs) if (laughs) i i I, you know that's uh that's even a step up from this um and and i guess it would depend on whether i felt they had their clip situation settled because uh I don't know. It, it's kind of it was it was nerve wracking waiting to the last minute to get those clips. Sometimes it, it was it was really tough. Um, yeah, I, I guess I would just to say that I did it. Um, <laughs> and as for feedback, uh, people enjoyed it. People enjoyed the the live description. People enjoyed um, having it uh, available to them. You know, I think I think access is always good. Inclusion is always good to have absolutely well as a friend and a fellow bpi board member um a fellow acp i am so proud um you know of you of 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 the you know accomplishment of 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 it being done for the first time finally um and i hope i you know my favorite is the grammys of course um and i hope Maybe next year to hear, you know, the fabulous Chris Snyder on the Grammys. All right. I know I heard at least one hand go up. Byron, who do we have? All right. Um, well, we have one hand, but I, I also have a quick question. Um, of course. So when you when you found out that you were being asked to uh, take on this mon- momentous um, uh, task, you know, you were being asked to do this, um, what was your reaction and how do you think you were uh picked to be one of the people to to work on this was it because of the company that you work for and they had gotten the contract to do it or do you think they called on you specifically um you know how how were you picked to be the voice of the clips uh descriptions a little complicated um actually and um i don't know how much i can go into but i'll say this uh so the Screen Actors Guild wanted to uh, were approached uh, by our amazing Roy Samuelson, of course, and uh, Satana Howry, and they were, you know, they were asked to consider making the Screen Actors Guild Awards accessible with live description. They said, you know, it's time. It's, it's been shown we can do it with the Oscars, and and it's it's time to do it. And they agreed. And of course, they wanted um, they wanted uh, union talent to do it. So uh, originally, Satana was going to do it, um, but they didn't want anyone flying to to uh, Los Angeles to do it because uh, of the COVID, COVID restrictions. COVID. Yep. Yeah. 
so uh uh what they what they what uh what was all worked out was it it all it ended up working out that uh audio eyes was the exclusive provider for new descriptions for uh the turner turner networks so um that ended up uh allowing us to get in there and um and then i was tapped to do the description of the live the uh clip description because um they wanted to have a blind talent do it they wanted a blind talent on the on the project and so that's how i ended up there so Chris, wow. before we take Jane's question, um, remind folks about the book and the award that you just recently received as well. The book. Uh, well, the, the book that I did was called Jenny Noon, The Girl on the Moon, and it's a children's book. So I, I actually um, I am I'm the executive producer at a company called Imagination Video Books, and we are a nonprofit um, that takes children's illustrated books and provides uh it turns it into an audio book version with audio description of the pictures and um we actually have and what what that company does is we take them make them audio books and video books uh, meaning that the the text and the pictures are on screen as they're talked about as they're read and described and we also put um, closed captioning and American Sign Language on them. So uh, it, it's really kind of a neat organization. I'm very, very proud to be a part of it and, and to be out there uh, working on these things. I, I narrate, I mix, um, you know, there's all, all of that goes along. I direct the talent that, that we get in. And we, we do actually... Uh, work very hard to hire blind talent. Um, we want, we actively seek blind voiceover talent. You have to have a professional setup. But um, that being said, we we do absolutely provide or um, search for blind voiceover talent to be involved with the projects. Um, uh, and the award was called the um, Society of Vo- uh, Society of Voice Arts and Sciences um best what was it best actor yeah i think so best best voice actor for television and film and um and it was it was a a high honor because i was up against some really stiff competition this is the first year that they included a category for audio description and um and there were some notable folks up there uh competing for this award And, and and they're very very talented people and I thought it was just an honor to be included in the nominations, you know, and, and I had no idea um, that I would win it. I, I didn't expect to win it because it was, like I said, there were, there were some really, I mean, I'm going up against Star Trek, okay? There's, there's yeah. a lot of really good people out there that, are, that are, uh, um, had done some amazing work. And um, it was really cool. And, and, and I will say this. Um, I'm I'm actually really glad that a blind person did win it. Even if it hadn't been me, I would have been really happy to see a blind person win it. Yeah. Um, for the first year, that's pretty uh, historical. 
I think so too. And, you know, in another life, another career, um, I worked with autistic children. Um, I did some early intervention and behavioral, you know, ABA behavioral stuff. And one of the biggest things, one of the biggest challenges for families is having, you know, having to spread the, the resources, the time, you know, reading books and things is such a challenge sometimes. And I, I, I don't know on a firsthand basis for blind and visually blind and visually impaired parents and or children, et cetera. But I can imagine, you know, this, this company is helping to bring families together. And that alone makes, you know, it, it makes my heart sing. I, I feel like Mozart in a way. Um, well, the, so the, the, you know, the thing about that is, Anthony, that um, you mentioned autistic folks and, and, um, and people with uh, different uh, mental challenges as well. And, and, um, the imagination video books the the books the way that we do them actually does help um the autistic community because of the multiple sources of input that they can that their body that their brains can can um can choose from and so uh and there's there's been some preliminary very preliminary research suggesting that audio description in general can be very helpful to uh autistic people people on the autism spectrum i should say the the school that i that i worked for is doing some some studies with audio description currently um and they're having they're having really good results so i think i'm going to feature that on a sunday edition you know after after leadership <laughs> maybe in a, yeah you have your hands full I do. I do. So let's get to that hand. Um, and again, thank you so much for coming two weeks in a row. We, we really appreciate it. Um, it's my I believe it was, it was Jane, right? Yep. Byron? We have two hands. So Jane, go ahead first. I will. I will. First of all, Byron, thank you for reading my mind or letting me energy toward you channel. You asked the questions that I had, but I want to ask you, Chris, uh, after I congratulate you, uh, there's hard work, there's receiving the gift with humility and determination to keep on keeping on and doing more. Um, are you familiar with National Braille Press, which creates visually accessed and Braille, uh, print and Braille children's books, among other things they do? So it would be another way for you to incorporate um, access for all people with your descriptions. Um, anyway, that that's all. I just really have appreciated the work you've done, and congratulations. I'm going to go dance around now and say yay. <laughs> later, Thanks, later. Jane. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, I believe we have uh, don't quote me on this <laughs> i believe we have approached national braille press uh to do their books and i think there was a question um of uh trying to trying to connect all of the the parts uh the, oh, the, the moving dots. parts uh yeah um uh trying to get you know author permission and, and mm-hmm. that, that, that there was a lot going on there so um okay. Yes, to answer your question, we actually have uh, tried to reach out to NBP, and I don't know. Um, I, you know, I, I, if hey, if there's anybody out there that's listening that's from uh, National Braille Press, uh, get in touch with us again if you're uh, if you're willing to 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 start, you know, to work with us. Um, we well, really the issue he, may be too that they do literal 
they, they put exact braille for print words and that maybe your descriptions are accurate, but not the exact print words. Is that correct? No, they are the exact print words. We don't they change are, the well, text of the books. Okay. Um, the, the, the things that we do with the description is we, the only things we describe and, and use descriptive language for are the drawings, the illustrations uh, in the books. Okay. Um, so that would be a great add-on to NVP, but, you know, all in good time. <laughs> well, that's, I would, you know, you mentioned that, and I will say this, we are working with, uh, our dear friend Kim Charlson over at the Perkins uh, School, mm. and we're we're um, we are doing uh, a Braille version of our books mm -hmm. for uh, both to promote Braille literacy, um, mm. and and we hope to make them available both in grade one and grade two, and also uh, for deafblind children or deafblind parents of children. Um, to to sort of enhance that, so it's we're we're trying to make BRF files available as a supplement yeah. to the books. That's so great. There's, so there's that. <laughs> Carry on. Thank wow, you. it's amazing how the the subjects of today's show really all kind of tie in with each other. We'll take that other hand, and then we'll then we'll start speaking with Claire. Who's, right. uh, who's up next, Byron? So our next question is from a four zero seven area code. Oh, so Hi. Close that sounds like it's like Larry Early. King. You remember the old days when he would pick, take phone calls and be like, "Yeah, go ahead, four oh seven, you're on the air with Larry King." <laughs> okay, can you hear me? Okay, we can. Mm -hmm. Is this Shirley? Yes, sir. It is. All right, welcome back. I'm good. I'm good. Hey, Shirley. Thank you so much. Um, well, I'm I'm on here for a couple of reasons. First of all, I I wanted to uh, commend Chris. I've just I've wanted to talk to you forever because I am just a a major 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 audio description fan, and um, I just I love listening to what you do. I'm so glad that you were able to do this program last week, and I listened to you do quite a bit of. Uh, other description and you know you really do a fantastic job of it and i've just uh always wanted the opportunity to talk to you and and commend you uh in person so thank you so much for what you do and i'm glad you had this opportunity last week i hope this will be the beginning of uh, more things to come for you um and well, i guess the other thing was i uh, I'm sorry, you were saying something. Oh no, I just said, well, thank you. I'm glad you. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I'm glad you tune in and listen. Okay, well, thank you so much. The other thing I wanted to say is I cannot find last week's podcast. I have the ACB Sunday Edition podcast, and the the latest one I'm seeing on there is the one from the week before last. So maybe one of you guys. Oh, weird. Can so Check I'm the one that, that usually gets and... I'm the one that usually gets that uploaded and and I did upload it but I will look into it and see what's going on with that um and I will have that okay. resolved before the end of this program. So I'll I'll do that in the okay. I'll busily That's work wonderful. on that in the background here. I thought here. that might be the case Byron yeah. but wow. I um just wasn't positive. So Yeah. Um thank thanks you for making so us much. aware of it. And again uh I appreciate what you guys are doing. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I would love to take more hands, but unfortunately, or fortunately, we have a great, great show. So, Chris, all, all I can say is thank you for coming two weeks in a row. And 
I'm so proud that, you know, you're my friend and my fellow board member. Thanks. Well, thank you for having me on. It's uh, been a pleasure as always. <laughs> All right. Well, here's a name that everybody knows and loves, and it's been a while, but she is back on Sunday edition. Claire Stanley, welcome back. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. <laughs> I love that beautiful voice. Oh, so, so kind. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be honest, somebody asked me um, a little bit earlier this morning what your new job title is, and I did not do my homework this week, (laughs) I have to be honest. I know I knew it, but I know you're working for the federal government, and I know it's in in the area of, of, um, you know, advocacy and, and that sort, but can you tell us where you landed? Yeah, I'd love to. So I don't work for the federal government. I work for the federal government adjacent. Um, So I work for the National Disability Rights Network or NDRN. We're the membership organization for the 57 protection and advocacy offices. Um, And for those of you who aren't familiar with the PNAs, as we call them, um, I often um, compare them to legal aid offices, but specifically um, equipped with attorneys and advocates who know the Americans with Disabilities Act and any law that, um, you know, advocates for the rights of persons with disabilities. So I work for the the national office here in D.C., um, and we do all kinds of advisory work for um, all the other 57 offices. Um, And I am specifically a public policy analyst for NDRN, and I often tell people that's just another word for a lobbyist. So I'm a lobbyist. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you transitioned right at the heart of COVID. Mm -hmm. How has it been? It's been good. I'm really enjoying my new position. Um, Like you said, it was right smack in the middle of COVID. So my first seven months, six months, I was 100% remote. So that made meeting my new colleagues kind of interesting because I'd meet them on staff meetings via Zoom. But it's not quite the same as being in the office with them. Um, But I'm now back in the office most days. So it's nice to actually get to bump into uh, colleagues in in the hall and actually get to know people and talk with them. So How was it for you, beautiful girl, going back to, you know, a work day routine? (laughs) Um, So uh, for those of you who don't know, Anthony is referring to my beautiful guide dog, Tulane, and she loves it. Um, During COVID, she was getting very stir crazy. She hated staying home all the time. Um, So when we would get on the metro in the morning and go to work and be in the city, she was extremely happy. She loves actually being able to (laughs) use that guide training that she has and be able to do her job and see people. So So Sunday Edition has its own email. I just want to remind folks that it is the words Sunday Edition with my initials, A-C. And I thought about it afterwards. I should have just made it Sunday Edition A-C-B, but oh well. But Sunday Edition (laughs) A-C at Gmail. And two questions came in for you this week, Claire. Um, One came from Jean. I don't know which Jean it is, but it came from Jean. And Jean wants to know, how often are you and Tulane recognized from um, from the guide dog puppy? Uh, oh, my God. I should have done my homework this week. I'm sorry, but from the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the docuseries was called Pick of the Litter on Disney+. Plus. Um, and it's kind of, it ebbs and flows, but it definitely does happen. Um, but my favorite memory was um, I was out 
it was during COVID, but it was beautiful weather. So me and a friend met and walked around the National Mall in DC because we figured, okay, social distancing, we can be outside, all that kind of stuff. And that day we were on the, the National Mall, you know, walking from the Washington Monument to the Lincoln Monument, et cetera. I got stopped three times a day saying, hey, you were on that show. So um, it doesn't happen all the time, but it definitely happens. And I guess when it rains, it pours. (laughs) (laughs) Leslie wants to know, how much do you keep up with what ACP is doing? And do you have um, any plans to participate in Legislative Week? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So definitely I'm still a proud member of ACB. Um, I joke that Clark Rockwell wasn't going to let me get away um, fully. So I have the awesome privilege of being one of the co-chairs with Sheila Styron for the Transportation Committee. Um, So we just had a call not too long ago um, and I get to participate in that, which is a lot of fun. Transportation is actually one of the issues that's part of my portfolio at work. So it's a great kind of overlap in that respect. Um, And then yes, I will be helping out with the leadership conference um, coming up this coming week. Um, Not just, well, I'll be participating as a ACB member. Um, I love to participate every year. It's a great conference and I really enjoy it. Um, But I was also um, asked to do um, one of the breakout sessions with Swatha that I'm really looking for. She and I will be doing some training on kind of the do's and don'ts and the 101 on what you should expect when you do your Hill visit with one of your Congress members and their staffers. So we'll be telling you the do's, the don'ts, what you should expect, that kind of thing, um, and be doing some fun mock um, interviews on what it's like to go up to the Hill or in most of our situations, do a Zoom meeting with the Hill staffer um, when you're talking about our, um, our imperatives and that kind of thing. So we're looking forward to it. Well, speaking of the visits and them being Zoom, um, do you have any tips and tricks for our folks about how to get themselves camera ready? Ooh, that is a great question. Um, You know, you should still act like it's in person, Um, you know, still dress nice because you should have the camera on. Although I will tell you guys that it is such a hit or miss. Sometimes staff members, I think they think, oh, well, it's just Zoom. I'm not going to turn my camera on. So I've had quite the hodgepodge mix of some turning cameras on and some not. But you should always be prepared. You should always assume that the camera will be on. So you should dress nicely. Although we all like to giggle that you only have to dress nice from the top up, the waist up. So you can wear those sweatpants, but have your nice button up collared shirt on. You know, it's always nice if you can to have somebody orient you so you're, you know, you know, does my camera go a little to the left, a little to the right. So if you have that opportunity, get somebody to to orient you just so I'm always afraid they're looking up my nose or something. So if you can get someone to help you know the the setting of your camera, that's always helpful. Um, and yeah, just have fun. It's, you know, it's, it's can be a little intimidating first time, but the staffers really just want to hear from us about the issues so yeah get on be you know know what you're talking about be confident in what you're talking about but just you know be be willing to share what's going on um, in your own state as it pertains both to the imperatives but just other issues as well they really do like to hear from their constituents and know what's going on in their own backyard 
Yeah, we experienced last year, um, you know, my first my first Hill visit was in person um, in 2020, right before the pandemic hit. Yep. Um, you know, and there were meetings in the hallway, there were meetings that were postponed and, oh, can you come back at 215? Mm-hmm. And we had another meeting scheduled, or can we do 245? And we're running from floor to floor. And, um, but last year, you know, we had quite a few that went well over 45 minutes, um, you know, that really, they dove in, they wanted to hear, especially the specific imperatives that their their representative, um, you know, their slate of issues melded well with. There's probably a better way for me to say that, but you know what I mean. Um, and- so be, pre- be prepared that some of these meetings aren't going to be, you know, a 15 or 20 minute, you know, quick, quick run and done. And I think that's so such a good thing to point out, Anthony, that some will go way over. Some, unfortunately, will go way under, under, you know, yep. um, sometimes you'll get the actual Congress member. A lot of times you'll get a staffer. Sometimes you'll get a staffer who knows the topic. Sometimes you'll get a staffer who doesn't know the topic. So I guess my point being, just be flexible, go and ready to experience who knows what. If you're meeting with multiple um, reps from your state, one will look so different from the other. It's just such a hodgepodge. So just be super flexible and ready to, to take on all kinds of different things. And one thing that I was asked to remind folks of during the um, the recording of, so I don't know if you were aware that uh, Tuesday Topics Visibilities and Sunday Edition did um, training sessions uh, a couple of weeks ago. One of the things I was asked to remind folks of is the lighting in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if if you're facing, you know, if your camera is facing a window you're going to be in shadowed. You're, you know, you're not going to be shown very well. It's going to be hard to look at. Um, so you want to kind of make sure that you have placement with the light behind you or behind your computer, really, um, not behind you physically. And I think, you know, that's a, a cool thing to, to point out and remind folks of so that, you know, you're not sitting there in, in shadowed profile. Um, I think another thing. Friends. <laughs> yes. I think with that too, I always try to be cognizant of what's behind me because you can be thinking, oh, I'm at my desk or I'm at my kitchen table, all is well. But what's behind you? Hopefully you don't have a messy kitchen behind you. So just, you know, take two seconds to think what my trick of the trade is. I usually sit at my kitchen table and I have these beautiful um, curtains on my sliding glass door behind me. And people always compliment the color of my curtains. So I just always sit with my back to that. So I know I'm safe. And then you guys can always do to the settings. Um, I'm sure everybody knows now because we're way into COVID with Zoom. You can pick backgrounds so you can have um, uh, quote unquote virtual background if you want to make sure, you know, things don't, they're not seeing your whole house or whatever. Yeah. So just, just take a couple minutes to think about it. And, um, you know, again, you don't want your dirty, not that anybody's kitchen is dirty. Um, but you don't want your messy kitchen behind you. So no, absolutely. And if, if for some reason you can't be on camera, it's very easy to upload a photo as well. Yes. Um, just that, because otherwise they're, they're looking at like a shadowed silhouette of, of what is, I guess, supposed to be a person, but there's no features. It's just a weird screen I'm told. Um, so upload a photo. I'll tell a quick story. I was on a meeting a couple of weeks ago and there was all kinds of snickering. It was mostly sighted folks. Um, and I kept wondering what the heck is everybody laughing at? So, you know, we got off the meeting and, and I called my friends and I'm like, what was everybody laughing at? And I'm not going to mention names, but so-and-so's mom was folding laundry in the background. And so the snickers were 
um, bloomers, you know, pantaloons, <laughs> so to speak, being folded. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding? And, you know, she was like, no, no, it was like, you know, every day she was picking up underwear and doing socks and folding pants and shaking things out. <laughs> yeah, you just never know. Um, there's also with the sound too, you know, you got to be careful. Um, I know sometimes depending on what device you're using, if you're using a computer or an iPad, you know, toggling on and off with voiceover jaws can be more or less frustrating, just depending on what you're using. So if you have, if you're uncomfortable toggling on and off, make sure you're absolutely in a quiet place, but even still sometimes like the feedback can be frustrating. So if you can mute yourself when you're not talking, that's really helpful. Um, but just be really cognizant of that. Um, I'm sure it won't happen because you guys will all be in nice, quiet places. But I have been on more than a few Zoom calls where somebody says something really embarrassing in the background because they don't uh, realize they're not muted. Um, so be careful. So let's switch gears a little bit. Do you mind if we get personal? Sure. I mean, am I going to regret that? I <laughs> No. <laughs> you know I'm gentle. Um, most folks remember that not not long before you transition to your new position, you also transition to being a homeowner. So mm-hmm. how is that going? It's going really good. It's um it's still weird to say I'm a, a an owner of a condo. I feel very very blessed, especially because it's because of COVID and everything. Um, buying a home became quite the endeavor. I had a lot of friends who have been buying in the last year and prices have shot up. And a lot of people say you have to waive the inspection and people are offering, offering, you know, way over the asking price. So I feel unbelievably thankful that I purchased when I did. But um, yeah, it's, it's been great. I actually took advantage of the low interest rates a couple, maybe a year or so ago, and I refinanced and got my mortgage rate even lower. So yeah, it's been, it's been great. I'm really, really enjoying it. So owning a home is always a work in progress, but um, where do you, where do you feel you are with getting it to the exact Stanley home that you (laughs) have always dreamed of? (laughs) You know, it's, it's a work in progress. I like where it is now. Um, I am hoping to remodel my bathroom in a couple of years. So been thinking about that and saving up for that. So um, yeah, but it's always fun, you know, here or there to to add something or, you know, to change something. I'm really enjoying it. People always compliment me on my decorations, which always makes me smile. Um, they say it looks like me. So that's always fun to know I've added my own little touch to it. So, yeah. Have you had any nice, fabulous dinner parties? I I um I actually hosted Thanksgiving this past um, <clears throat> this past fall and had a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, it was, it was great. And how about when you're not working, what kind of fun activities do you and Chulene like to do? Oh, that's a great question. Well, knock on wood, since Omicron has dissipated a little bit, I've been trying to spend as much time with friends as possible because everybody who knows me out there knows I am an extrovert. Um, So I need my people time. If I don't have my people time, I get a little wacky. Um, So it's been nice to be able to see people again. 
Um, but during the real heart of COVID, when, you know, social distancing was absolutely imperative, um, I am an arts and crafts junkie. I am always working on some kind of project. So during the real heart of COVID, I had probably like three different projects going on at once. I'd have one over on the couch and one in my bedroom. And it's just always something going on that I was working on. Um, so that has continued, of course. And I'll ask, feel free not to answer, but has the love bug bitten you at all? You know, I'm looking if anybody. <laughs> anybody. Um, I like him tall and well-educated. He has to have a sense of humor. <laughs> we're looking, we're looking. So that's, that's Tulane's job. She's got to find someone for me. She'll sniff it out. Absolutely. Exactly. Well, listen, listen, folks, I'm going to repeat that Sunday edition email again. Sunday edition AC at Gmail. If you'd like me to pass anything along to Claire, please send it on in and we will definitely make sure she gets it. Um, I want to switch topics again <laughs> and ask you about your new coworkers. Who stands out? You don't have to give names, but if you have any funny stories or, or things that stand out. Ooh, well, I have amazing coworkers. I love it. It's a nice hodgepodge of ages and genders and um, ethnicities. It's it's a really fun group. Um, yeah, I have. So my coworker, one of my newer coworkers, um, she just started just a few months ago. She is also blind and she has a golden retriever Labrador mix guide dog and her dog likes to our um, offices are just right next to each other so her dog likes to run into my office steal Tulane's toy and run back into her office um so that's <laughs> been really fun um yeah so but yeah great people um a lot of the attorneys I work with um a shout out this name will probably only ring for the bells for a few people but one of the attorneys in our office Ken Shiatani is a transportation guru expert and so it's been mm -hmm. really fun to work with him because I think everybody's nodding that transportation is such a big issue for our community so I've been learning so much and have really been enjoying that so yeah any thoughts on um on transportation secretary Judge? Yeah, it's so far, I, I really enjoyed um, what he's been doing. I think he's been doing a great job. Um, back, I guess it would have been in the summer, maybe in July, um, we set up, we meeting, me and my colleagues, we set up a meeting to talk with DOT. Um, and I think we phrase the email we want to talk to the secretary but you never talk to the actual secretary right they always pass you off to the staff members um so i've got on this call with department of transportation a few attorneys are on and uh, we're going okay let's get ready are we waiting for anybody and one of the attorneys goes oh well we're waiting for mr buddha judge and i go wait what excuse me <laughs> and he took the time out of what i'm sure is an unbelievably busy schedule to actually talk to us and want to know what issues in the transportation field were important to us. So I think that was just so indicative of the experience we've had with Department of Transportation in this new administration that the secretary himself would actually take time um, to talk to us and, and have us list some of the major priorities that we're working on. So yeah, phenomenal experience so far. That's pretty darn awesome. I'm a little bit jealous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so folks, we're going to take a few questions for Claire in a few moments. So if you want to get those hands up so we can keep the show moving, that would be great. Um, I want to transition to your old coworkers. 
Um, one of your friends is about to deliver a new life into this world very soon. And <laughs> one of your coworkers um, is is very well melded with with the new you. <laughs> What's um what messages do you want to send to to your former? co-workers yeah well it depends on which co-worker you're talking about no, just <laughs> um, but no it's been fun I've had the opportunity to text with Kelly Gask a little bit and I'm so excited to to hear about the new baby coming into the world very soon I think within days mm-hmm. I think, the, the uh-huh. due um, so very excited for Kelly and um, yeah just a shout out to everybody to Sharon and Eric and Tony um, Clark, you know, I don't miss him. What, whatever. It's, you know, it's just Clark. No, um, I tease. <laughs> um, it's, I've had the great opportunities to still work with Clark um, in a professional manner. We, our paths overlap a lot. Um, so that's been great. Um, and then getting to know Swatha, you know, even though um, obviously I didn't know her before and she came in after me, we've still had the great opportunity to cross paths um, and work together, which has been a lot of fun. And then, like I said, we're putting on the training together um, at the leadership conference. So it's been really, really fun to get to know Slatha. So, yeah. Well, I've wanted to catch up with you for a while. And, you know, the show sometimes it, it takes on a life of its own and topics pop out of nowhere and so on and so forth. But when I knew, when I saw that you were going to be presenting um, for a legislative and leadership week, I, I said, okay, I have got to make sure that we talk with Claire and, and we catch up. So I want to thank you so much for coming on and, and letting folks, you know, kind of know what, what's up. You, you are still a very, very loved member of ACD. So folks were, folks are curious. They want to know how things are going. And so thank you for coming on. And we're going to take a couple of hands before we transition to Debbie and Lori. And I know you're going to stay on a little and help us talk out that subject as well Byron. yeah of course i look forward to it all right let's get those have? let's get those hands up i'm not seeing any at the moment um but we got to get those hands up any any tall handsome uh... <laughs> <laughs> well-educated well-spoken clark lookalike no, <laughs> god i love dogs wait what was the name must of that movie dogs. must love dogs yeah. yeah good good movie and a good requirement yeah must love dogs yeah <laughs> you know what i'm gonna ask debbie to unmute and debbie do you have any questions for claire about you know claire claire before we get into the subject debbie 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 or Lori, either one <laughs> Byron, can you see if they're yep, on? They are. Oh, there we go. Yep, there we go. Uh, I did see Debbie mute, unmute, I think, and I I see Lori unmuted. Okay, so Claire, if you could just talk a little about P and A, um, yeah. only because I think personally, I, I got to work with them a lot, dealing with um, a couple of different issues. And I think it can often be a resource and the local chapters, state chapters can be of assistance when it comes to blindness specific issues at times. So if you can just kind of cover what those areas are, that would be great. Yeah, thank you. That is a great question. Um, so like I said before, ev- there so there are 57 protection and advocacy offices, which confuses people because I say they're in every state, but there are 57 because they also exist in the territories. There's one in the District of Columbia, 
Um, and there is actually another one in over kind of in the four corners region of the West Coast and it's a Native American specific protection and advocacy office, which is so awesome in my opinion. So I'll just say there are 57. Um, they're not all called the same thing, but often you'll hear them called like disability rights, insert your state name. Um, so for instance, I'm originally from California. Um, so the California PNA is called Disability Rights California. Um, like I said, in their most basic form, I often equate them to legal aid, but they're not just that. They have a lot of authority to do things like go in and monitor institutions, just really make sure that the rights of persons with disabilities are enforced and protected. But the nice thing about them being most of them are nonprofits, a couple of them are still um, fall under the state government, but the great majority are nonprofits. And the great thing is that as a resident of that state or territory, you have the right to pick up the phone or send an email and say, I have a disability, I'm blind, and I'm having X issue. And it's a free resource and you can reach out to them. And then they'll reach back out to you. Sometimes they might be able to take on your case. Sometimes they might just give you a legal citation and educate you on what your rights are. Um, all kinds of different things, but they're completely open to all people, all residents of that state. So it's not something where you have to pay or, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's something right available there in your own backyard. Um, so as those of us who are blind or visually impaired, they do all kinds of different um, legal advocacy programs. Transportation is a big one that they're working on, which again is a big, big thing for us. Voting access is a big thing. Um, they do a lot of education. Education is one of the biggest growing issues they're working on. Um, they do some law enforcement work and the rights of person like prisoners in institutions, so including people who are blind. Um, you name it, housing is another big one. Um, so again, it's just a great resource for people to know. I know sometimes people say, you know, I need an attorney. I don't know what my rights are. Give them a call. Everybody has immediate access to them and it's really important. Um, I think, I hope I'm not misquoting because my memory fails me, but I believe when we were working on one of the, the voting um, lawsuits out of West Virginia, um, Disability Rights West Virginia was one of the, the co-counsels on that case. So ACB works with the PNAs a lot. So they're a great resource. And, um, you know, go ahead and Google Google your state name and protection and advocacy. It'll pop right up. And it's a great resource to know about. Thank you for that See, question, I'm here Lauren. now. I have a question. It's Debbie. Sure. I have gone over to raise my hand. I'd hit on more to raise my hand. And then I'm going to get back to right. Anyway, <laughs> Claire, I'm interested because this is so cool because people with disabilities are working together for common goals. Mm -hmm. And I know sometimes we, especially with sensory disabilities, are a little bit leery and think that our issues will get lost. So mm -hmm. as a blind person, how do you feel the balances between dealing with all disabilities? And how do you think the sensory disabilities fit into this whole thing? I just like to get your beat on it because it is the elephant in the room. So mm -hmm. I'm not too shy to bring it up. So I'd love to hear <laughs> what you question. say. No, it's <laughs> It's a great question. And to be honest, I feel like it varies so much from coalition to coalition to issue to issue. Whereas I think in some situations I see people do a much better job of balancing the issues. And like you said, in other situations, maybe with a different coalition, it becomes very lopsided. And it's very inherent that it's 
favors one group over the other. And so I think because of that, we, meaning the blind community, we just need to be loud. And so that's why I feel really privileged to work in a cross-disability community so that I am not weary or afraid to say, what about us? <laughs> Good for you. Um, yeah, to make yeah. it more balanced. Because I really truly believe the, the way we're going to be the most successful in advocating for disability rights as a whole is to be a greater coalition. Um, because there's not a lot of us to begin with, and it's hard to get people to listen to us. So if we work in a greater coalition together, I think we're going to get our point across and have, a, you know, just a louder voice, more people louder. Um, so it's, I really, in, I mean, I enjoy advocating for the rights of the entire cross-disability community, but I try not to ignore my privilege in knowing that I can represent the blind community in that greater coalition. We're glad to stand on. for us. Thank you, Claire. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to follow up on Debbie's question. You know, there are instances where we have to compromise, where we have to say, yes, this is a huge issue we need this dealt with, but these are the bigger issues. So let's not forget it. Let's keep it on the list, but we will work towards. Can you speak a little to that and, and what are our place in the community as far as advocacy and, and looking for, you know, betterment, um, compromise, how much mm -hmm. does it matter? You know, I think it definitely met, especially like in the legislative community, right? Like when you're, you're trying to get, um, legislation passed, there's definitely some give and take in that kind of thing. Um, uh, we were working on the all stations accessibility program that had to do with updating, um, uh, train stations, some of the legacy systems. And so there was some push and pull of like, our community wants this. And when I say our, I mean, I'm kind of just an um, ambiguous community, whereas another quote unquote ambiguous community had a slightly different opinion. And we, at the end of the program or the end of the day, so to speak, we really had to say, okay, like this is what we have to agree on to get something done because the politicians aren't the politicians don't know our community. They could care less what the blind community versus what the deaf community, you know, they, they could care less. They don't understand. They're not in our community. So there definitely is that balancing that we have to do in our corner. Um, because again, they, they don't care. <laughs> they don't understand. They're, they're not in, in our situation. So yeah, there's definitely, um, a place where we have to come together and negotiate, hopefully never to a point where we have to really like completely drop a significant portion of what we're advocating for. But there is just that everyday balance and negotiation in what we do. Awesome. Thank you for that answer. Byron, I heard a couple of hands go up. So let's let's take a count in the first person and um, then we'll transition into the second topic. You sure did. So um, Chris Snyder uh, unmuted his microphone and I should have known, you know, because he's an audio engineer. I thought, oh, he left his microphone op open. He's unmuted. I should mute him. And then his <laughs> hand went up and I went, oh, he had a question. Okay. He knows not to talk when his microphone's unmuted, Byron. <laughs> so Chris, go ahead and lower your hand and ask your question. Well, hello, Claire. <clears throat> it is hello. Uh, lovely to talk with you and, and it's really great to hear what you've been up to. Um, so, uh, this kind of goes back to the well. I will say yes. I, I I've I've actually seen firsthand in in advocating for audio description that uh, oftentimes uh, the blind community is sort of the the um uh, <laughs> redheaded stepchild. <laughs> I was gonna. I was trying to avoid that, Anthony. But yes, yes, that 
um, <laughs> um, when it comes to um, advocacy, when it comes to getting our needs met, um, because mm-hmm. we don't have the kind of incredible um, lobbying community that, say, the deaf community has. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when you when you have a language and a culture all your own, yeah. it, it really creates a strong bond of community. Whereas yeah. we're we're just sort of a loosely affiliated of people, a group of people who don't see well. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's it's not the same. It's not the same. For sure. um, and I think that that hinders us uh, a lot of the time. But uh, a great example of that is at the at the SAG Awards, they didn't um, the the they they mentioned that uh, CODA had closed captioning and ASL and never mentioned audio description. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, that being said, on the on the front of the SAG Awards, when I was on my way to rehearsal, I was denied twice by Uber oh, and geez. Lyft because the driver came cruising along saw the guide dog mind you i was in a i was in a suit <laughs> yeah. they, they went ahead and they just passed when they saw this black labrador in harness mm-hmm. um and sitting next to me you, you can hear the car you know slow down slow yep. down zoom that's you know that's how they work so like do you where are we with these these ride sharing companies um when it comes to getting them to to recognize uber used to have a thing that said uh uber assist and those drivers were theoretically trained not to ignore not to uh refuse service dogs but uh that that went away and and i don't know what they're doing now yeah um so in my opinion we still have a very long way to go i think um the blind community did a good job jumping up and down and yelling years ago. And I just don't think we've gotten very far. And I don't know if I blame any particular person for that. I think it's just such a messy and complicated problem because the solution is tough. My biggest criticism, and I'm talking to you, Uber and Lyft, is your um, policy on quote unquote reprimanding your drivers is not sufficient. Um, I mean, most from what I've heard, and I think most of us assume is that it's just a little tap on the wrist. It's not anything substantial enough to really discourage people from denying rides. So how we fix that, I don't know, because there have been lawsuits brought against both companies. So we've quote unquote, taken out the stick in, in for both situations. Um, and it's been pretty, um, pretty, you know, insignificant at this point so I wish I had a better answer as to how we're going to fix it and I think we need to work on that but um, it's been a big problem the one thing I will tell everybody and it's not denial related but Department of Justice the U.S. Department of Justice um, is suing uh, Uber or Lyft I think it's Lyft right now or is it Uber I think I forgive me I'll I'll look it up but they're looking at one of the companies for um charging people if you don't find your driver within five minutes they start ticking the mm-hmm. clock and you get a fee um doj has looked at that because obviously it's going to disproportionately impact people with disabilities because it's taking us extra time to play as i always joke marco polo with our driver <laughs> and so they're um suing the company to work on that and so Again, that has nothing to do with service animal denials, but the hope and what we've talked about at NBRN is using that as a leeway to say, okay, great, you're looking at the issue, this issue, but by the way, the service animal issue has not gone gone away even a little bit. So hopefully to use that as an inlet to say, let's fix this problem, but by the way, the other problem is still 
worse than ever. So right, yeah. Lyft, Lyft even goes went so far when they were sued about the service animal denials to say that they since they're not technically a company mm-hmm. that, that offers a serve they're 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 not a service provider they're just a we just we just hook people up together we don't actually yep. yeah i saw that was that made me delete the app i was so angry it's, um, it's still their legal claim it's that they're not a transportation provider they're a website link or whatever terminology they use yep and it's still their legal claim they're clinging on to yeah that's ridiculous yeah i agree all right, awesome. Let's go to the next hand. Okay, and I also see that Debbie is muted, and I don't want to um, un- unduly mute somebody that shouldn't be muted, but if you are <clears throat> unmuted, Debbie, and you don't mean to be, it's- please do so. Um, we have somebody uh, going by the name of iPhone. That's a very interesting name. Hi, <laughs> iPhone. <laughs> that would be Margie Donovan from California. Hi, Margie. <laughs> Hi, Margie. Hi, Margie. Hi, I, I can't find my other headset for the computer. Claire, I want to tell you something. You're much younger than me, but you are such a role model for me. Let me shut my voice over up. I just really enjoy your enthusiasm and your advocacy, and I love just hearing you speak. And I want to give right a on. great big shout out. Yeah, so we can have role models that are younger than us too, by the way. Um, I want to give a great big shout out to Disability Rights California. They're mm-hmm. dealing with a transit agency out here that's offered um, zip pay on every form of transportation except for paratransit. I'm sorry, the Connect card um, for every form of transportation except for paratransit. And that's a, a, a card from the company that they, you could have auto-loaded fare on. Um, they've just released zip pay for all forms of transportation. And the issue is for some of us that have very serious manual dexterity issues, um, it's not very easy. And mm-hmm. um, with the, there's a lot of issues, but shout out to Disability Rights California. And one other shout out, speaking of coalitions, let me be clear. It was not just blind people that stopped the Los Angeles Community College Districts from going yes. to the Supreme Court. It was cross disability and we won that yes. so far. Hallelujah and thank you everyone that called or wrote or protested. I didn't even know there was a protest. I probably would have flew, flew in the Southern Court. But <laughs> there are many areas in which we can work together and we, we start dividing ourselves. We might start go back to dividing ethnicities and the mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus community. There are many places where we can stand aside if not together. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Margie. Thank you. Big shout out to Margie for making all of us aware and, and persisting that um, I've, I've made quite a few phone calls and, and forwarded it to everyone that I knew. Um, and I know a lot of other folks did too. So shout out to you, Margie, for that as well. All right, Byron, how many more hands do we have? Looks like we have just one right now, and it's Lori. Awesome. Hi, Lori. Hello. Can you hear me? Yep, we, we can. Okay. I For some reason, it's not telling me, and I'm unmuted. Um, so I just wanted to say I really would hope that sometime in the near future, something can be done to go back and go after Uber and Lyft, because I would really like to see Department of Justice go after them and say, no, like, on one level, yes, you're a technology company, but overall, the service that you're providing is a direct service. And Mm -hmm. it is, it's such an issue. It really, it really is. And 
when I saw that they are going after the, I can't remember if it's Uber or Lyft either, Claire, but for the, uh, you know, the, the penalty the for time. not finding yeah. you, the wait time, <laughs> that is such a huge issue, especially when you're at, you know, somewhere with multiple locations or multiple entrances or you do what I do and get lost in a building and think you come out of one entrance and you're in another. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a multitude of issues and we really de- do need to collaborate and become part of things. And I do find it difficult very often when settlement agreements get reached and it's like, okay, well, where were the blind people in this? Mm-hmm. You know, it talks about, curb cuts and you know i i had a laugh i was reading disability rights advocates latest press re, uh, newsletter and they referred to the accessible pedestrian signal case in new york city as access to a crosswalk so hmm. i was like yeah. no not really but moving right yeah. along <laughs> You know, so wording is such a big part of things. And I think we really do need to be collective and and work collectively because so many people who are blind have additional disabilities or can gain additional disabilities. Mm -hmm. You know, we fall down off a curb or down a step or, you know, so. Um, So I just, I just remembered it is Uber and I'm remembering because, and maybe this is a, a challenge to everybody. So when you reported the um, your receipts that you realized you were overcharged, you're supposed to email them to Department of Justice at uber.fee at usdoj.gov. Um, so I, I first of all encourage everybody to do that. Go into your receipts and look because I had no idea I'd been charged. And then I looked and was shocked. Um, but second of all, since that's such an easy email address to use, I would encourage and you know, urge you all use that email address and report service animal uh, issues because then maybe at least if we flood them with emails saying, yes, the charge is a problem, but this is also a problem. It's just a very direct email to you. So it's uber.fee at usdoj.gov. Uber.fee. That is pretty easy to remember. And Byron, we will throw that into the show notes today. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. Let's take two more hands and then we'll transition into Lori and Debbie and education. Okay. Uh, I do not see any. Oh, I do see two hands. Uh, we have Debbie. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yep. I hear we you. Can. Okay. I just wanted to say one thing about Uber and I'm not going to take a lot of time with it, but I urge either through a community call or a wonderful show like Sunday edition that we find out if we can't get some folks from Uber and Lyft to, to talk with us and to answer questions. I had the most terrifying Uber in incident last Wednesday, I ended up having to call 911. And I'm a pretty adventurous independent guide dog user. It was, it was horrifying. And so I'm not going to waste time here talking about it, but the problem is quite severe and it goes through a number of issues. And I will say just in closing, it had to do with the fact that I could not communicate with my driver. He took me to the wrong place and he was demanding that I get out of the car. And I said, sir, I don't know where I am. So 
he finally just sat there. So I called 911. I looked on my phone to find out where I was, but I did not find anything that I knew of. So I said, can you take me to this hospital, which I knew was near where I was going? He couldn't find it, wouldn't do it. That's when I called 911. It was horrendous. And so it could be, and I'm pretty adventurous. So I think that these problems are more serious and overlaying than we even know. And for a couple of times, one time I got accused of not wearing a mask because they didn't want to pick up my mm-hmm. dog and me. So mm. I just think that these, this is, I think it's, it's kind of kismet that this came up. And I think it is something we need to work on. And Uber and Lyft both need to take this stuff very seriously because when we get in a car with a driver, we assume they have been vetted by these companies. So it is a service and they're just, so anyway, that's all I wanted to say about that, but it is very serious and it's something we need to do something about. Well, Debbie, I'm going to say, stay tuned to Sunday edition in the coming weeks. I actually will have Uber. I have not heard back anything at all whatsoever from Lyft, but I'm waiting for permissions, et cetera, et cetera, through Uber so that their spokesperson can come and talk with us here on Sunday edition. Hopefully by then I will have heard from Lyft. Um, But either way, I, you know, I'm going to take the opportunity with, you know, with Uber that might end up being a pre-recorded show, um, but I will put enough notice out so folks can join us when we're recording, if that is the case. Um, all right, Byron, we'll do one more hand, and then Lori and Debbie, stay unmuted, because you're up. <laughs> okay, the next one that we have is Melody. Hello. If, say, if I've tried with my state P&A organization three separate times, and my case is now open with a domestic violence center, and the disability rights organization will not work with them or medical facilities because of confidentiality, therefore I become more critical what can I do? I've been advised to file a complaint and would the complaint be worth it? Because it would be as complicated as the situation. Ooh, that is a very difficult question. I would need a lot more information, which of course I'm not going to ask you for. So if you want to contact me offline, I'd be happy to run it up the chain with one of our attorneys in the national office to get more information. So Anthony, feel free to share my um, email address in the notes, but I'll also tell you guys my work email address is just claire.stanley at ndrn.org. So feel free to shoot me an email and I can get more information. So claire.stanley at ndrn.org. And Claire is incredible with answering emails. Um, So if you reach out to her, she will definitely answer you back. All right, Debbie, Lori, so glad you guys are here, gals are here today um, because I love little ones. In fact, we had dinner with um, two of Gabe's cousins last night and his four-year-old goddaughter, who I absolutely love and adore. Um, But today's kind of serious. So who's going to open up the topic for us? All right, Debbie, I'll call on you directly. (laughs) Well, it's Lori. I'm unmuted. Go ahead. So, um, as the Special Education Task Force, we uh, recently, a couple months ago, did a podcast, and we have some topics that we're going to be doing podcasts on going forward, uh, which Debbie can speak more about. 
but I'm unmuted now. I, I keep thinking I'm unmuted and I'm, I have no idea why. I'm so Debbie, that might today. be my fault because we were still doing questions for the other thing. And I saw that you were unmuted and I went, Oh, well, she's not asking a question. So I muted you. So that's my fault. Sorry okay. It's all Byron. Don't worry about it. I'll hit you in the head with a wet noodle later. <laughs> um, anyway, what Lori has said is absolutely true. Right now we are doing podcasts on various aspects of orientation and mobility. And our second podcast will be recorded in the month of April. The point of our meeting today is that, and one of the reasons I invited Lori to come, and she will have so much opportunity to speak, as will Claire. I'm just going to do this beginning thing and let these ladies of knowledge get going. Lori has worked through her various various. In incarnations of her career with so many children with disabilities, blindness, and their parents. And the needs are great. And what the parents don't know, they don't even know they don't know sometimes. And it's, it's a yeah. real issue. So we want to talk a little bit about today. Um, I would like, Anthony, once I finish this little introductory thing, to start with Miss Claire. And Claire, if you can stay on for the rest of the hour, we would love it. Claire, as we've said earlier in this program, is a lot younger than many of us, and her public school career is a lot more recent. And I, and plus, she's very smart and intuitive, Claire, you are. And so I wanted Claire <laughs> to share some of what she went through herself in public school, what her, the role her parents played, what that was like, and what she saw without obviously mentioning any names other people go through with parents who were really on it, maybe with parents who really weren't, because the truth is that the, the, free and a public pub, the free and appropriate public education of our blind children has within it the definite rights, things that parents can expect and should ask for, and things that these children have a right to, and they don't know. And so I thought we would talk to Claire from the student point of view plus Claire, your observations, and then Lori will call on you to do what it is you do best and talk about the, the, the aspects of it from parents and guardians and what you've seen happen with children and, you know, in your professional. Realm. So um, if it's okay with you, uh, Anthony, let's start with Claire. Absolutely. Yep. Great. Well, thank you so much. And I'm happy to stay the, the whole hour. So just holler whenever you would like me to chime in. Um, but yeah, I, um, you know, went through the public school system um, from K through 12. So, you know, never, never swayed away from the public school system. Um, and overall, I feel very blessed. I had a pretty good experience. But of course, there were bumps along the way. Um, I, you know, had an IEP the whole time and got the resources I needed. But I definitely learned that I had to be um, annoying, for lack of a better a way of saying it, to get the resources I needed. Um, I was a full braille, full-time Braille reader, and getting my materials in Braille definitely was not always the easiest thing, um, especially I did a lot of advanced placement in international baccalaureate program classes, and they just didn't have the materials in Braille. They weren't readily available, so I remember we had to work with the transcriber um, to get my books um, produced kind of in real time, which was 
that's so difficult because half the time my books weren't available when I needed them. So I was constantly playing catch up with my peers and that kind of thing. So I really had to be my own advocate and, you know, say, this is what I need. I had a lot of counselors who kind of doubted my ability to take some of the courses I wanted to take and said, well, why don't you just take, you know, the regular college prep courses? And I would have to speak up for myself and say, no, these are the courses that I've tested into or that I want to take. I've been recommended to take. So just a lot of doubt on toward me about what I should or shouldn't be doing and that kind of thing. Um, and I was raised by a single mom and, you know, she did her best, don't get me wrong. But as far as advocating for me, she did what she could, but it was, it was hard. And so a lot of the advocacy kind of fell on my own shoulders. Um, and I think the the big difference that I've seen both in my own life and then also professionally in this space was there's a big difference between the people who have the money, whose mom and dad can yell, shout and yell, um, a lot of times not even for valid things, in my opinion, versus those who really needed the advocacy, but they might not have the resources. So the people who could just shout the loudest for potentially not necessary things versus the people who the mom and dads who really needed to advocate for their kids, but might work full time or might not have the education because they don't know the system, which is not their fault. Like who knows, you know, IDEA backwards and forwards, you know, parents shouldn't have have to know that they you know they're not attorneys they're not advocates so really um, parents having to know the law but you know working a full-time job and having multiple kids and so it makes it really hard when the people with all the resources sometimes are the ones yelling loudest just because they can and so then the people who don't have all the resources who really have a right to yell loud um, don't have the resources to do so so you see a lot of inequity in kids getting a fair and public education of the FAPE um, just based on the circumstances and the resources. So because I came from a family with a mom who was working full time and didn't have the the knowledge and the skill set, it often fell on my shoulders to yell. And thankfully, I'm a good yeller. Um, but it was hard. It really taught me to to have to be my own advocate at a young age, which is not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong, because now all of us know, as blind adults, you have to be your own advocate. So it was definitely a good learning experience. Um, but it was tough, you know, it was like, okay, I'm supposed to just get this faith because it's my legal right as an American. But you know, I'm having to learn from a very young age, kind of, what to say and what not to say and what my rights are and how it works and all that kind of thing. So, um, but overall, I feel very fortunate that my, my public school district was pretty well equipped um, to get me what I needed, but it, it, it was not flawless. There were definitely a lot of bumps along the way. Claire, I, have so Claire, if from, I could just oh. add, oh, I'm sorry. I was just, this is Lori. I was just going to say, if I can just add to that, you know, a lot of kids do get a fabulous education and they get what they need. But like, as Claire said, it's all about, you know, like what, how do these services get started? What, you know, if something changes vision, vision wise, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And it's so, mm-hmm. I've sat in IEP meetings where the school district literally has said, a what assessment? When the mm-hmm. parent has asked for a mm-hmm. assessment and a learning media assessment the purpose behind that is to figure out what is the best learning medium for your child your Mm -hmm. child may not be a braille reader they may be able to read braille but it may be too difficult for them to process what they're feeling under their fingers and understand it and keep up with Mm -hmm. their grade 
And that's being realistic. You know, other people like myself and like Claire, I'd be lost without mm-hmm. Braille. Yeah. And, you know, I had a fabulous education. I had a mother who probably didn't know all the legal terminology, but did a little bit of yelling and screaming and left the rest up to me. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it really is so important. Um, you know, learning That's media assessments and are important. I, I've, I've had situations literally where a school district doesn't know how to bill for it because mm-hmm. it's not on the list of items because they didn't purchase that when they purchase their software to write their IEPs. Yeah. And it's like, that's, a per- that's oh. disgusting. It is. Well, Claire, I and think it, it was this is a perfect moment to, to ask Claire from the personal perspective. And we're going to get, we're going to unpack a lot of what Lori just said, but from yep. a personal perspective, both in your own journey and, and, you know, friends and things you've seen, even now as a professional, I think a lot extra is placed on children with disabilities. And like you were just saying, you had to advocate for yourself. So what, what was the balance like for you, you know, keeping your grades up, doing whatever chores you had to do at home as well, you know, having social interaction and having to advocate and still, you know, I'm I'm just going to say it still coming out of it all as a rock star, Um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) fabulous education. And, and I mean, your mind is, is brilliant. Um, but it must take a toll to have to balance all of that. You know, it's definitely, it's definitely exhausting and frustrating. You know, I, I can, I have this one, I don't know why, but this one kind of solid memory in my head of coming home from school and high school and just being so frustrated because I had to, you know, speak up for myself with the, I forget what their official titles were, but they were basically the school counselors who know you helped with your courses and that kind of stuff. And I remember being so exhausted because they didn't have the materials I needed and I had to kind of shout and yell and that kind of stuff. Um, so it's definitely, it's exhausting. I mean, school is already, depending on your circumstances, school can be pretty uh, overwhelming these days. And so I definitely remember it being exhausting. But on the flip side, I will say, Um, the one thing it does help with is learning how to advocate for yourself post K-12 because you don't have an IEP anymore in in college and above and in the workplace. You have to ask for your own accommodations under the Americans with Disabilities Act. So that is the one flip flip side is it teaches you, you know, when the IDA no longer applies and you're an adult, you have to speak up for your accommodation. So that is the one important thing is it starts to prepare you for learning to how to have a voice and ask for what you need. And that is so important. We could, we could because... talk just for a minute about the children that, you know, let's face it, we're all different. You are like Lori and me and Anthony, you popped out of the womb, probably talking, advocating, <laughs> you know, the whole thing. But I'm thinking about parents that are overwhelmed. They don't think they know anything. Little children who are shy and don't know what to do. And did you, without mentioning names, did you, did you experience those? And, and also when you're talking about all this, what was school like for you when you were little? I mean, too little to be taking the stellar courses that you had the ability and every right to take and the ability to speak up for yourself and all that kind of thing. Because I, I fear sometimes our little children get lost in the, in the shuffle. And so I, I, we talk a little bit about that from both your own observations and, and all of that for a minute or two. 
No, I think that's such a great point, Debbie. Um, I used to mentor this girl who was several years younger than me, who was the shyest girl I know, just very quiet and nothing wrong with that. That was just her personality. You know, some people are just quieter and shyer. Um, but as a result, she's totally blind and, you know, she needed to advocate for herself um, both in high school. And then when, when she was transitioning over to the junior college, we had to constantly say, you know, you got to speak up. And it was just so paralyzing for this person because that's just what their personality was. And I'm sure everybody has heard the not every but a lot of us have heard the concept or the phrase you can't be shy when you're blind um and how frustrating is that because yes, yes we have to advocate for ourselves but some people just are naturally shyer quieter and you can't penalize somebody for that um but it's a it's a tough spot to be in um I was really fortunate that I had a phenomenal teacher of the visually impaired TVI in elementary school and she used to tell her student because I was definitely a lot quieter and shyer when I was in elementary school you know you're you're figuring stuff out she used to actually it was kind of an assignment I, I was fortunate we had a resource class at my elementary school so I was mainstreamed but I could go into her class you know an hour a day to learn braille and things like that she used to actually give us quote unquote assignments to go to our regular ed teachers to ask for things because she said, you guys are going to have to advocate for yourself one day. So we're going to start now, you know, maybe you'll go to your IEP when you're in fourth, fifth, sixth grade. So you can start getting used to it. You're going to learn to ask your teachers for your materials ahead of time because she knew that we just had to learn because yeah, you don't, you know, first grader is not going to know what to ask for and he or she shouldn't have to. They're six, seven years old. Um, But yeah, I was, I was fortunate to have a TVI who said, okay, guys, we gotta, gotta start learning. So. So I want to break in here for a moment. Um, I'm going to give you a question that I want to ask towards the end, but so that it's kind of bumping around in the back of everybody's head. For those of us who are, you know, weren't blessed with having our own children or our children are older and, and now advocating for themselves. I want to ask before we close out today, what can we do to support parents, to support children, um, especially the shy ones, especially the ones that just don't know where to begin? So I'm going to ask that later on. Debbie, I know that you also wanted to ask Claire um, about resources. Well, I did. And I, I, I wonder if you could tell us, but I want to ask about resources in terms of the whole point of the special ed task force is to equip parents, grandparents, guardians, counselors, anybody who cares and is responsible for, in part or all, of a child's free and appropriate public education. So what I'd like you to talk about a little bit, if you know from your, and and certainly Lori, chime in on this with your whole heart. I think it would be helpful if we had some idea of where people who want to do the right thing for their kid, they don't know where to go. They're intimidated. Their school people don't know. Um, Where can people go to find out about resources and what their kids' rights are, you know, where they can go and sit down and talk with somebody? Where, Where can they go and how do they find out this information so that they can be better advocates on behalf of their children and their children can grow into being better advocates for themselves. And both of you can chime in on that as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So this I'm going to jump Claire. in real quick and say Katie Frederick and, um, and Richard, <laughs> but go on. That was yeah. going to be part of my answer. 
<laughs> it was family connect. <laughs> yeah, I'll answer real quick because I'm sure Lori has a lot more resources, but there are so many different legal clinics out there and law schools that have programs like that. And I wish I could say like, oh, go to one website and poof, they're all there. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, but I would do your research in your state. Um, for instance, um, when I was in law school, we did some uh, advocacy at the local, it was just the Orange County Legal Aid Office. And I found out through that, that they had a, an IEP, IDEA clinic at just the local legal aid. I know Loyola Marymount Law School, they had um, uh, a special ed clinic. So I, I wish it would, again, I wish it was all in one space, but do your, your research because a lot of legal aid clinics, a lot of law school clinics, they do a lot of that kind of work. And then of course, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that the PNA is also do a lot of um, special ed work as well. And Lori? often that's, that's where the ACB affiliate and the special education task force can come in and assist as well, because very often, you know, you say, well, you know, I'm blind. I always say I'm blind, but I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I'm not an expert on blindness. I, you know, I know blindness, but as a, as somebody who is blind and the special ed task force and um, ACB can really help in those areas and help educate the lawyers because in order for a lawyer to speak intelligently on behalf of somebody's child, they need to be educated. Um, yeah. You know, they need to understand the importance of a child having access to material at the same time in an appropriate format. Um, you know, and whatever that format happens to be. Uh, before I said Family Connect, they have some great stuff on their uh, website and, and blogs and different things like that. Um, you know, Debbie and I are great resources for different things. Um, it's just, it's a community effort. You know, nobody raises their child yes. alone. And mm -hmm. that's what we need to remember that we're part of a community and we're part of the puzzle. And, you know, you think about people in your own life who helped you grow up. A teacher of the visually impaired can't necessarily, even that they should sometimes, be really advocating something for a child, but they may feel intimidated by the school district as well. Um, you know, or I've seen situations where parents have unreasonable expectations of their child for whatever reason that is. And I'll give you a perfect example. I had a parent who wanted a Braille display for a child who knew three letters of the alphabet. Mm -hmm. To me, that's unreasonable. And it's yeah. a waste of money for the school district. And I politely told her, like, there's lots of other goals that need to be met before we get to that point. But somebody told her, like, oh, my child has a Braille display. That's not going to make your child read Braille. You know, yes. it's, it's just, there's <laughs> yeah. so much more to this puzzle and yeah, you know, there's no magic pill. Absolutely. Right, exactly. Exactly. You know, and it's hard, you know, let's face it between 60 and 80% of our blind kids have additional disabilities. So that is something to, to keep in mind. Um, you know, and like I said, their learning media may change over time. Um, you know, it's, it's just a whole process. And, you know, there are some books out there that are okay, but I don't like the books that sensationalize blind people. 
Um, you know, there's some books out there that really, you know, it's like every person is a super blind person. And let's mm-hmm. face it, I'm not a super blind person. Mm-hmm. I don't think Debbie and Claire consider themselves super blind no. people. No, Although I, did, not. I did tell Claire that I think she needs to make a video about quilting. So <laughs> we have we'll work on that yeah. about blind quilting, but I'm going to get her to work on that another day. <laughs> um, you know, I- I want to jump in here for a moment because, you know, we we overlook something really important about our own organization. Um, We have local chapters. We have state affiliates. We have special interest affiliates. We have all these committees. And, you know, you and uh, you and Debbie are working so hard to make all of this information available or to at least be able to point people in the right direction. And, I, you know, the question I'm going to ask later that I've already bounced around, one of the answers to that is, you know, if you if you are encountering someone in your local chapter, in your state, whatever it be, and, you know, the first thought sometimes for parents, and I know this, you know, having helped raise my niece and nephew, the first thought sometimes isn't, I got to go get educated. They, they are worried and looking at the direct problems, and they, they don't have the wherewithal. It's not an intelligence thing. It's just, you're overwhelmed. You're working. You've got to put dinner on the table. You may have two or three other kids, et cetera. You got to work. You got to produce for your job, or you don't have a home to live in. And so, you know, learning, to, thinking about how to educate yourself sometimes is so far down on the list. But if we see folks that are struggling in, you know, in our local chapters or, or anywhere on community calls, we can very gently point them to the special education task force. We can point them to uh, Katie and Richard over at um, Family Connect. And there are so many more resources. I'm just naming those two. And um, of course, three weeks ago or four weeks ago, Katie and Richard were here talking about um, Family Connect. So go back and listen to that Sunday edition pod- podcast. But we need to reach out for each other. You know, gently pull someone aside after a meeting. Um, hey, you know, can we have a quick conversation? I know you're struggling. Here are some things within our own organization that you can use as starting points. You know, in, another example, Anthony, would be helping a parent write a letter to justify something. Yeah. You know, we may have the verbiage as a person who's blind to help the parent understand what something means to their child and and why something could be an asset and and these are just and these are potential future members mm-hmm. um you know so it's like i said before it's it's raising a whole community and uh it's really important lori i'd like you to address if you don't mind for a few minutes anthony brought it up and we all know it what about you know the blind children who have other issues and you mentioned yeah. about their best learning media and all of that kind of thing how how can we help parents and counselors and teachers how can that be determined like here is this child you don't just throw the child away how do you how do you get assessments to know what the child's capabilities are what the best ways of teaching that child are i mean i see I see so many children who are just sitting like lumps and they're apathetic and they don't know what to do. And that is why we see in college so many times young blind people flunking out after the first semester or the first year. And it's not, it's not everybody, God knows, but it, it does happen. And I wonder how much of that is lack of preparation from the public school arena like Claire had. And, you know, that's, 
you know. Yes. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, working with young adults um, over last summer, I had several of them say to me, oh, well, my IEP says, and I looked at them and I said, that's nice that you had your IEP says you're not in high school anymore. You're graduated. <laughs> that's just a piece of paper. Yeah. And one of them actually told me, oh, I can't give it to my employers. No, no, it's like that old adage of the permanent and, record. Yes, right. <laughs> and, you know, they don't understand it. But all through their education, they knew to say, like it says on my IEP, I have the right to, you know, double time on tests or whatever it is, you know. Yeah, in the, in the work world, you don't have double time to do your job, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's all about educating them. Um, you know, like I said before, a learning media assessment, a TVI can do that. Um, a functional visual assessment, a TVI can do that. Um, you know, those are, are two things that are very important in a child's education. And basically starting from information gathered in those areas will then tell you about other things that will need to be worked on. Um, I think the hardest part, and we see a lot more of this now probably than we did 20 years ago, is a lot of the mitochondrial disorders where yes. children are typically developing until eight or nine years old and then boom there's this downward spiral mm. and that you really have to couch correctly so that you don't overwhelm the parent but yet the parent has to be reasonable it's like your child feels like garbage because physically I'm talking about because of of this syndrome that they have so let's be realistic about what their expectations are expectations are we're not limiting those expectations but we want to be reasonable and you know that's where as advocates we can work collectively with the tvi and say okay what do you see you know in a five if you see the child five days a week or three days a week you know how many of those sessions is this child functioning at a specific level? And that way you can kind of help the parent and guide the parent to understand child may be functioning at when they're not around. Um, you know, so it's important. The American Printing House does have some uh, testing materials, meaning, um, you know, like IQ testing and reading testing adapted in different media. Um, which the, the teachers can access. Um, but I have my own theories on that. And there's some validity questions with all of those tests. Um, I like to tell a story of a little boy that I worked with. And <laughs> ironically, a psychologist at a school for the blind said, oh, no, I didn't braille. But this, oh, no, but the student does and she was it was ironic this was like before covid and the t and the the professional was on the phone and she didn't know i was blind and when i said well what what do you, what does your ability to read braille have to do with the child she was like well you know and i was like finally i said to her so everybody else in this room knows but you because you're not here you're on the phone that i'm blind and that child should have had his test in braille and you may have gotten different results and at that, the school district said, I want you to retest him in Braille. And she Beautiful. was mortified. But that's that was his learning media. And, yeah. you know, it's you just have to help. You're, you're, you know, really, as an advocate, you're just kind of there to 
really think for help think for for what the child may want and the child may need um you know it's Lauren, it, I was wondering as you're as you're talking about that it also brings up something that i saw a lot um in the autism community especially you know when there are multiple and disabilities involved parents are very not all parents but a good number of them are very afraid to actually have their their child labeled can you talk a little bit about that? Um, Claire, please feel free to jump in as well. Sure. So I've seen that happen sometimes very early on a diagnosis where they'll be told by a physician, oh, your child can ask for, you know, you can get a 504 plan for your child based on a specific health condition that the child may have in addition to their blindness to access the classroom material. And, you know, when a visual impairment comes into play, whether that be a cortical visual impairment, not necessarily legal blindness, you really need to look at the whole child and what the child's needs are. And, you know, a child may not test as legally blind, but may be functionally blind, meaning that in a lighted classroom, they can not really see anything and can't process what's going on around them. And that's very difficult for somebody to understand. Um, and cortical visual impairments are one of the missed diagnoses. Um, you know, so it is important to really help a parent understand the importance of an individualized education plan um, as opposed to a 504 plan. Claire, I hope you probably have something more to add to that. And Anthony, no. I just I just want to just one quick before we forget, we do have a podcast on cortical vision. Oh, yes, it's a very good one. It explains what it is, how to work with it. And people need to do that. And before I shut up and let Claire speak up, we also <laughs> have a dynamic podcast on when a parent becomes an instant TVI. And there is yes. a part of there's a part of the podcast that deals with children who are totally blind. And part of the pot, the next section deals with children who have usable vision. And in our OM podcast that we're working on, one of the main things we're trying to do is to give information how parents can incorporate their children into chores, into the life of the home. And obviously you're not going to say, okay, it's your turn to cook dinner tonight when they build <laughs> tea kettle, but how to, how to incorporate them with things that they can do and teach them things that they have the ability to do. So I just want to say that we are putting more podcasts out there and Lori can attest we have brought experts into the field to do these podcasts. We're going to be having more and more O&M podcasts and with children with multiple disabilities, as you will see as you listen to our first podcast and the future ones, orientation and mobility has become a lot more than taking a kid out on the street with a cane. Yes. And yeah. so, go ahead. So I just wanted to publicize those podcasts. I also just wanted to mention that one of the disservices that the TVI profession does to themselves is, you know, underestimates the amount of time that a child may need for, for hour-wise. Yeah. And that's really a problem. And it's also because there's not enough TVIs in the field. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, so they might say, oh, this 
child can be seen once a week and you know that's all um you know so that when looking at amount of, the amount of time i was fortunate i had the same tvi from i think november or december of kindergarten all the way through my senior year in high school wow wow, wow. And, yeah and I had wow. her at least two periods a day. Sometimes when I have ter had terrible teachers, like in second grade, I would go to her more often because the teacher just, we used to call her the ditto lady. People that don't know what dittos are, they were just, she wouldn't prepare, she wouldn't send anything to be brailled. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, I just go to the TVI and I had a great time. I loved it, you know, <laughs> and I didn't care that I wasn't, in the class with everybody else, I was still learning and I was learning things that I needed to learn. Like what does a sail on a sailboat look like? And, mm -hmm. you know, incidental things that are so important. Um, I also wanted to point out that Donna Brown is here and I don't know if she has anything to add as a retired oh, teacher. Do. Oh gosh, Donna. And I figured you wouldn't know that Debbie cause you're on your phone, so. That is a correct, I am and I didn't. Wow, welcome Donna. <laughs> Way to call someone on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Can you all hear me? We can. We can. Oh, great. <laughs> so, gosh, um, you guys have said a lot. <laughs> so, <clears throat> as a, a former TVI, um, and actually most of my years at the residential school, uh, but my last three years, I actually worked the whole state of West Virginia. West Virginia goes by a county system. It's not um, school districts. So I, I kind of got to see the other end of it. I mean, at, at the residential school, st students still have to advocate because you've got teachers who are coming in that are not certified TVIs initially. They have to eventually get their certification. Um, so you've got teachers coming in who don't know braille so those kids still need to learn to advocate just because the students at a school for the blind doesn't mean that that their um learning of being an advocate you know doesn't exist but um anyway so when i i, I really got to kind of see the other side of it when i at my last three years and i was out in the, in the county schools um I, I always said if I had a, a child who was blind and they were not at the school for the blind, they would go to, I would move so they could go to this one county because the TVI was like the best that, mm. of the best. <laughs> but fortunately, um, there were two students who were gifted, uh, totally blind, Braille users. Um, they happened to be in the right county because <laughs> had they been in another county, I'm not sure what would have happened. Um but anyway, <clears throat> there, then there's other counties, and I often think, you know, some of the, the they're taught or they're trying to encourage to advocate, but it if the county keeps saying no, we don't have the money or whatever, you know, sometimes eventually you get sort of discouraged and and you kind of yeah. sort of give up and 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 I often wonder how many are are out there that went through that and aren't where they could be today because of that mm -hmm. I mean, so that just breaks my heart to think about that kind of thing yes so i want to jump in for a moment and i know there are a couple of hands up i want to remind folks that um you know sunday edition will stay on for questions after we leave the air 
Um, so don't worry, we know that the hands are there and we'll get to um, questions soon. Donna, I wanted to ask you, you know, this is, um, this is a, a time where people are assessing and changing careers. They're, they're trying to figure out what, you know, what will personally reward them in their, in their work life. How could someone become a TBI if they were interested? Well, that's a good question. Um, so depending on what they already have, if they already have, say, a four-year degree in something else, they would still need to get a, a, an education degree of, of some sort. Um, and and there are multiple um, programs uh, for uh, teachers of visually impaired. Uh, we even have one in West Virginia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, However, I'd like to tell people, really do your homework when you're choosing a TVI program, and Lori oh, yes. probably can talk to this, because a lot of them um, think they can do it all through, you know, online courses and stuff, and I'm sorry, there's nothing better than the um, sort of face-to-face, hands-on uh, hands uh, classes, so... I, I like to encourage people to really look at the program that they're choosing. They might have to move maybe perhaps. And I know that might not be an option for some people, but I, I just cringe with the programs that there's really no face-to-face hands-on um, teaching. All right. I want to take a moment for Lori and Debbie to give out the resources that they have for the special education task force. Um, and, and then we will transition into some questions. Um, I just want to say, and I'm going to Lori um, have the last word on this because I'm going to tell you, Lori and Donna have been indispensable to the ongoing work of our task force over all these years. But we do have several podcasts, and they are available. And they, we, we had, I mean, we've just had several. Um, we had one that is still very appropriate about how to design your child's individualized education plan and what that needs to be and what, you know, what to expect and what you need to know as a parent. We have, we have really tried to have all sorts of podcasts out there. And so the other thing I would say is um, when you when you all are with people, really promote the special education um, website and give out um, the our names. And ACB has ferried several people to Lori and me. And um, you know, we we have done our best to lend them a hand. So we, we don't claim to be the experts of the world, but we know some things and we also know how to get people to places where, where they can be with people who know even more. But I'm going to tell you, um, we've got some great people on our task force. Most of them now are TVIs. Some are retired. So although they don't know the government lingo and uh, the 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 policy part of it they know they know the stuff that goes on in the classroom and what the kids they know that stuff and they've got a real heart so we can find people to help you out and um that is what we're here for 
And that's what we want to do. And the final thing I'm going to say is the special education task force and working with our little children may not be the most glamorous thing that ACB does, and it may not bring it the biggest acclaim and the biggest grants. But I'm telling you, I can't think of work that is more important than helping our little children and those who are overwhelmed and love these little people and don't know where to begin. And so, yeah. you know, we've got we've got so many people that can lend a hand. So do that. And I'm going to turn it over to Lori now. So, yeah, I don't have anything else to add besides uh, to what Debbie has said and um if everybody well, can get our the website name. information. <laughs> uh, oh, the website. What uh, I do to find it is I go on <laughs> I go on the ACB website and I look under committee. Look the task force. Yeah. And I, I, I think we could try, try to get it for Anthony though that to put it in yeah. the show notes. Yeah. yeah. We it, could, would that be would that be yeah, good, that Anthony? Would be good. Yeah. That would be wonderful. That's All right. So I, I <laughs> well, also, can, can I put in a plug for the American sure. Association of Blind Teachers? Yes, please. Uh, I was going to yeah. mention them before. Yeah, um, they, Lori and Debbie came to uh, one of our board meetings, and and the, the American Association of Blind Teachers is really anxious and 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 glad that they came to us, and so we've been sort of working together. Um, and so our website, I can give, send you that to Anthony, um, if, if you could put that in as well, because we've got some resources on it and we need to get them connected to each other, the websites. So thank you. And most of our great um, members have come through the auspices of the Blind Teachers Affiliate. And we're very, very grateful because we were, we were about ready to fall apart in despair. So it's all a wonderful thing. I'm so glad. Byron, be aware we're going to transition to questions in a few minutes. Um, I'm so glad, Donna, that you joined us. Claire, I'm glad you're still here. I asked earlier, um, and we'll, we'll start with Claire. We'll go to Claire, Donna, Lori, and then Debbie. How can all of us who are listening right now, how can we help? What can we do? Um, wow. So I guess from me not coming from the education space, like the other awesome speakers, just as somebody who's been through the system myself. Um, I think just being there, I think it was brought up um, earlier by Lori and others that just being, uh, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just a, a launching pad where people can come to you with questions because we don't all have all the answers and we don't all have all the information. But like I think Lori said, you know, where the best information is just community-based and just being a place where we can share what we have and what we know. Um, and, you know, most of us in ACB have been through the system ourselves or have connections to different resources. We're part of different committees, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So just being willing to be an ear and being willing to share the information that we have or being able to point people in the right direction. Because I think communally in ACB, we all have a ton of information. So it's just about sharing it and being able to be there to support for one another. Awesome. Donna? Well, no pun intended here, but I think, I think certainly having our ears and eyes open to um, what the, the people around us. Um, so, for example, like in our states, um, kind of being aware of, of the school systems and, and, and the parents and, and um, not being afraid to spread the word about say in West Virginia, like Mountain State Council, the blind, um, sharing 
resources with the teachers of the visually impaired and and encouraging them to pass that on to their parents and uh, again just when our phone rings and, and it's a parent on the other end you know listening to them and and pointing them in the right direction Lori I totally agree and um, I think sometimes we think of a school school district or that has a lot of money as you know being financially able to manage a child who's blind but sometimes I find and I've heard from a lawyer who works in protection and advocacy that those are the worst districts when it comes mm -hmm. to accommodating a blind child and I remember being astounded and she said to me they'd rather spend it on a soccer ball field than yep. mm -hmm. on a you know a braille display and a copy of JAWS and a braille translator and I was like, wow, that's amazing, you know, so you really, you know, you need to help a parent stand up and speak out. Debbie? I think that I'm just going to add something to the top of the cake. Donna and Claire and Lori have summed it up beautifully. I think we as blind people need to live lives and i'm not talking about being super blind people and the best at everything and re reinventing helen keller but if we live lives that look like they're meaningful happy or that we we are a part of something a part of our community i think yes. seeing i think seeing blind people out moving working or if they do volunteer work whatever it happens to be if we we need i keep saying this but it's true we need to be the face and voice of a adult blind person to somebody who is feeling hopeless afraid they don't know what to do about their child and it isn't that their child's going to magically turn into us but then they can say this is a person I think I can ask. I think I can come to. Mm. So I say community involvement and whatever your life looks like, whatever your gender, whatever your work, your career, whatever it is, live it to the best of your ability to do so, so that people will know blind people don't have to be stuck in a house somewhere, a financial mm. And not fit for much of anything. So be an example and then do all the things that these other wonderful ladies have suggested. Absolutely. And I'm going to, I'm going to actually put, um, you know, a cake topper or something on top of your uh, layer. It, it also, it also works well in, in the employment arena. You know, if you're out in the community and you're making connections and things, you, you know, those personal recommendations that, that companies ask for, a lot, of, a lot of folks think, oh, you know, we never hear anything. Um, you know, they, they don't really call those people or, or things like that. I can tell you from having hired a lot of folks in my lifetime, we, some of us do. Um, and when it, comes to, when it comes to being blind, um, the more that we're in the community, the more that we're seen, the more that we're active and, and showing that we're, quote unquote, normal or quote unquote just like everybody else the more the more the independence is fostered and in employment situations i'm going to tell you you know one of the best kept secrets as far as corporations are concerned when they are hiring disability um related candidates they they look at social media they call your personal references they they really want to make sure 
um, that, you know, how you appear on paper is, is who you are in life. And maybe it's not fair. Um, I'm not advocating that it's fair, but it happens. So if your social media, you know, doesn't show anything or your social media is all negative and complaining, it, it's highly unlikely that you're going to get a call back. Um, and if you're out there in the community and you're showing, you know, I'm out to dinner and I'm volunteering here and I'm singing at church and, you know, you've got a much better, a much better shot at being noticed and being taken seriously. I know it's not the topic that we're, that we're talking about today, but it, it is another piece of the, you know, visually impaired puzzle. Um, but so right way, now, it's part of the topic if we're supposed to be helping these people. So I'm glad it came around. Thank you. I'm going to take this, the opportunity to thank all of you. Um, it is This has been a wonderful conversation. We're going to go off air and then we're going to answer some questions. If you are interested in the questions, the podcast will be available later today. So Byron, um, any final thoughts? <laughs> Great show, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I have questions which I will ask after the show is over. All right. Take us on out. You've been listening to Sunday Edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email Celebration AC. That's the word Celebration with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you, and let's brunch again next Sunday. Chris Snyder's been waiting patiently in the wings for quite a while. Chris, go ahead and ask your question. Thanks. Thank you and so thanks. much for being here too, by the way. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> I love it. Um, so just I, I have to give you just a touch of background because it, it's related. Um, so I'm a uh, totally blind person, have been since birth. Uh, no other, well, actually, I do have another disability that uh, they've recently, recently is in the last couple of decades, have linked to, uh, the possible reason why I might have been blind since birth, which is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. But um, that being said, I was, um, I believe that what we have here is a systemic issue. And, and by that, I mean, it's similar, uh, and I hesitate to draw this comparison, but it is similar to some of the systemic issues we have in other spaces. Um, where um, where a parent is told by a, an, an OBGYN and then their pediatrician when they find out their child is blind, um, oh, they're not going to, they're, they're going to be developmentally delayed. They're not going to uh, advance like everybody else. They're going to have problems. You're going to be supporting them their entire life. It's, it's a disaster. You're ruined. It's, it's a, you know, they do that even today. And it is hard for a parent to to overcome that kind of a of a thing and say no that's not going to be my kid mine luckily did but it's not the case for everybody especially uh as claire said people who are working full-time jobs and this is just going to overwhelm them right so um my so my thought is um the the special education task force or perhaps uh, something related to to it from ACB. What if we created some kind of a blind mentorship program for sighted parents of blind children? Um, 
as a resource, somebody so that we could hook them up with a blind You're person. You're talking Donna's language right here. <laughs> <laughs> who could, who could um, help them and realize their child's life isn't over before it starts. You know what I mean? That, That's that, so I, true. I think because because it's so overwhelming, especially in today's economy, where I guarantee you, unless the, the, the parents of the children are independently wealthy, they are absolutely working uh, one, if not two, full-time jobs. I, I, I mean, I've, I know how it is now. So wouldn't it be a good idea to, to create that kind of a program? And, and if so, I mean, <laughs> I'll be involved. I'll volunteer to help. So, so Anthony, can I, this is Donna, can I you jump can. in? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Anthony and I've had this conversation, sort of, uh, kind of like it. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I want to give uh, kudos to the Washington Council of the Blind. Now, I don't know a whole lot about this whole program. So I'm just going to say the little bit that I know. And I'm going to find out more about it, though. <laughs> um, they, have, they have some type of program, some kind of families program or, or something where they do activities, you know, with the uh, families uh, of children, you know, who are blind um, throughout the state throughout the year. And I do know that they actually have like a youth track as part of their conventions, even the virtual ones. Yes. Um, so I... I'm going to reach out to them to to find out how they got started. You know, what do they do? Because I'd, I'd like to start something in West Virginia. And anyway, that's kind of goes a little bit along with what you're talking about there, Chris. And, and this I, is I Lori. like your idea. This is Lori, and I would be happy to work on something like that. Um, back in 2000 and probably early 2000s. Um, I worked with ACB National on trying to get a youth mentoring grant, but ACB was not on as good of financial footing as they may be now, um, and the grant request was denied, but I certainly would be willing to work on something like that. I just think it's important for... I think, for I think the secret to such a program would be leadership from people who know, but to get it going in the state and local level. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So that, yes. so that people can communicate with people, sit and sit face to face with them. Right. And I, see, yeah. see the almost everyday live or close yes. enough exactly. to it. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. not exactly. What we were talking but, about earlier. Yeah. See these people yeah. as human beings. So right. I think that if we could do something like that, and maybe we could work with the teachers and the families group and 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 ask the Washington people and and figure out how we can get a program that would help the the affiliates get the get this off the ground, you know. And and so a lot of its success is going to would have to depend on the affiliates because it's only going to work if we have people in place who are willing to, to do the talking yeah. and the going to lunch and the playing with the kid to get to know him and, you know, the whole or her, or them, you know, the whole bit, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wonder if it would be too late to maybe even an informal session at, um, at, at a convention this year to try to pull like-minded folks together who would want to help create this is something that would take a while a, a long while to really get established but if we don't start it'll never happen um and yeah. and if if other states have a program i didn't mean to leave any state out so no, if somebody's out that. there 
if, if somebody's out there listening, though, I don't want them calling Anthony and, oh, they're not listening. They're not on the air. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they may get well, you know, Anthony, you know, Anthony, um, that's how that's how um, C flag started was just an informal meeting. So maybe yep. that's how we should start it this year, you know, just have have a like maybe on a Zoom just so that everybody could attend and just do it that way. Um, yeah. My other my other question um comes to it's a little bit more i think in claire's uh bailiwick maybe maybe donna's um today we have i can i can download a book on my kindle a fictional book or a non-fiction book i can just boop boop and it's there you know and i can just open up my braille display or i can listen to it or whatever um and so i have a i have a, a an acquaintance who um who is currently attending law school and uh, he's totally blind, and he um, was facing a situation where the Center for Disability Resources in his at his university um, was just abs- incompetent. Doesn't even come close mm. to talking about what they were doing. They they put him back in his in his as you know that that uh, those courses are extraordinarily difficult, and they put him back even though he himself was yelling screaming advocating since may of the year before he attended uh to get these books in place august rolled around they had one Mm -hmm. and then by the end of uh october i mean he was so upset finally the dean of the law school the assistant dean of the law school stepped in and said nope this is not okay we're contacting the publishers and we're going to threaten them with lawsuits these publishers have the text of of all of the books from k-12 on up to university level uh, to post grad mm-hmm. they have it all in electronic text why in the hell are mm-hmm. is the department of justice and and all of these um why are we not just pouncing on these people and saying get the damn books to the blind kids this is not acceptable i i don't understand why this is so difficult to to force them to comply in in, the, in an educational setting? I, I I think the laws are on our side for it. It deals had, with this every day, and it's horrific. Go on. I'm sorry, Claire. I've had that exact same thought a million times over myself, Chris. Like I remember when I was in law school, thinking that, and for years to come, yeah, why it, it isn't better? Perhaps it's something you can uh, poke Clark about, of maybe being a future imperative or something to work on. But yeah, I agree. It's it's so frustrating, and like you said, it's 21st century technology. All the publishers have those docs right there, ready to go. So it shouldn't be hard. And I'm sure the publishers claim all kinds of copyright privacy yeah, that's what that, they claim for him but yeah that was the that's first the thing, thing they that, were like oh we just yeah. don't want anybody to steal it and it, it's like yeah that's give me a yeah. friggin break I mean, well i, I think it's, I it's think, a control thing on on publishers part too yeah you know, they, as, they, which yeah, is wrong as, i mean I, i'm not saying that's right at all because it's not but yeah. it's yeah yep. that's as somebody who just graduated in december with my second master's degree uh, rather different than my first one 20 years ago. Both times in both master's programs, I wound up not using disability services at all as a blind person because I did not find them to be beneficial. Mm. It was easier for me to go directly to the professor and to go directly to the publisher and provide a copy of my certification of legal blindness and say, yada, 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 you know, um, so 
I also would like to say that sometimes, and I've been on some ACB calls and this issue has come up, people believe that since they're blind, they don't have to purchase the book. Which yeah, is misconception, yeah. Um, yeah. So I would just like to say that, you know, some, and a lot of the published, a lot of the Kindle versions of the books are very accessible. Um, uh -huh. You know, so that's the other thing to keep in mind. Um, you know, I, I know that a, a lot of well, them, it's... you know, they want to see proof that you purchased the book. And I've I've had gone toe to toe with some people, and when they've told me, "Oh no, I don't have to," no, you oh, do. Oh, that's ridiculous. You do. You know? Of course you do. Yeah. So of course you do. It yeah. it is important to remember that with rights come responsibilities. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Um, and one final TV eyes. I've, <laughs> I've heard. I'm so sorry, Anthony. I don't want to monopolize, but I, no, I, but okay. I all of these things came up because I, I, I am I, I've gone through the education system and I and like all these <laughs> I, this this was a conversation I felt really deeply. <laughs> um, a lot of TV eyes I'm told today um, are not uh, Braille certification <laughs> is not. Uh, well, yeah, you know where I'm going, don't you? It, um, it, it really. I mean, it's, as, it's, it's not uh, a pro it's not available or it's not required or something, or it's only required oh. to get to grade one or something. What in the world are we letting go on right now with that? All of the programs that are TBI certified do require it. They also do require that you pass. Usually it's with a B as in boy or better. Um, however, how they convey that material is very different from program to program yeah um i just completed my master's as a vision as a yeah, as a vision take that part out <laughs> um as a vision rehabilitation uh teacher uh therapist um in december and in my braille class we had tvis and for the program that i went through they the tvis in addition to the braille class which contained contracted unified english braille code they also had to take nemeth because the college was in new york and new york still uses mm -hmm. nemeth for they math. they do here in, in west virginia too yeah, yeah. so it's a good um, system <laughs> it, you know but i can tell you some yeah. of the other programs it's not that um you know it's not Robust. as heavy <laughs> yeah in that area yeah. Um, the other part to remember that is that if a teacher comes out of school and they don't use it for a couple of years, mm -hmm. yeah. use it or you're lose less it. likely to recommend it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The flip well, side I, of I that, that, though, is very often I see posts from TVIs where they're trying to get a child to learn Braille because it's a congenital condition that's going to mm. worsen and the parents don't Ooh, want it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's uh -huh. a bigger yeah. issue. Well, that, yeah. that, that leads back to the, to the blind mentorship of, of yes, blind totally. adult yeah. membership of yes. adult sighted parents. I think that's, that comes back to that, but yes. Um, it's just that I, I, I've, I've read that statistic recently about how few of us actually know Braille, but of the 30% that are actually employed, there's something like 80% where, mm -hmm. where Braille is, uh, uh, they, they, where 80% of those people know Braille. It's like, 
so clearly yeah. it's it's one of those i use it every single day at work oh my yeah, gosh absolutely. i, I use it every day in my voiceover it. career yeah. i yeah. couldn't be yeah. i couldn't be without it yeah yeah, yeah. all right chris thank you for the questions i'm Thanks. not sorry to be so off, damn long-winded thank you no people are being very <laughs> generous with their time today so thank you all um byron how many more hands do we have oh we had two but now we have just one so um nona yes Thank you. Um, uh, I just want to say that in um, 2019, um, I became um, a volunteer educational advocate for a young student, um, and I reached out to the educational task force and um, and Debbie and Lori. I, I, your your help was invaluable, especially Lori. Um, you gave me such a um, a focus and a game plan of going forward and what I needed to do. I I'd never done anything like that before. This was totally out of my wheelhouse and. I learned as I went, um, and the educational task force was extremely important to give me the guidance that I needed. Um, ultimately, what I ran into, and, and Lori said, you absolutely need a lawyer. You need to find a lawyer. Um, and that was my biggest stumbling point. I, I, there were so many lawyers that were going to come through, and then I ultimately, we lost like five attorneys that were going to take on his case. And for whatever reason, things fell through and then COVID happened and there were so many factors and the family, um, this young man was being raised by his grandparents, just didn't have the financial means. Mm. And they also slipped through the cracks in terms of they made slightly above what legal aid yeah. would provide. Cover. Yeah. yeah. It was just, it was just so frustrating because I knew we had such a strong case. I ultimately um, uh, decided to pay for an attorney myself and, and we went through and, and we ultimately won the case and he is now happily ensconced in a, um, at the Perkins School for the Blind and I'm and learning every day and I'm thrilled for him. But what I would love for ACB to be able to do is to create maybe some kind of Rolodex or register um, and, and you're right, the fil affiliates would absolutely have to take part is to kind of help guide where we can find lawyers and advocates that are willing to provide pro bono or reduced rates um, to help families navigate who just just don't have the the means and also really they were an older couple they just really were very intimidated by the process um, and just oh. didn't know where to turn so that's what I would love ACB to be kind of like the, the leader in that, in that regard too, you know? No, no, we wish we, had, we wish we had you. at least a dozen of you. I was sure. just yeah. going to say, when I saw your name on the list, I was so happy because you really worked your tail off on that. And if it were not for you, that young man really would not have the opportunities that he's had. You know, and, and you talked about children with multiple disabilities. I mean, he not only, you know, he, he's, uh, he lost his vision because of CVI, but he also has cerebral palsy. And, um, you know, and uh, the district really was, I can't, I'm, I, I'm sure everyone has a million, million, you know, stories to tell, but his experience and what he went through was just really horrific. And I'm, I know he's, he's very well ensconced and will stay at, the Perkins School until he turns 22, and I know that the district cannot budge on that, and I'm thrilled about that. Um, but yeah, it's. I just wish he had had more time, and you know, I, I think about it all the time. If he had just been able to go to a school 
or it had um, an advocate pushing because they had really said to him, oh no, you're not capable of learning Braille. Well, he, he, he knows Braille now, you know what I mean? He's never oh, gonna be able to walk, he's never gonna be able to talk and he's, he's done every single, he's proven everybody wrong and he's just- mm. wow. and, and And this is a perfect case of where what some people have fought for meaning the least restrictive environment. Some people would call this the most restrictive environment. And for children who are blind with additional disabilities and or even some children who are blind that don't have the incidental learning, the most restrictive environment, meaning a school for the blind, very often is where they're going to get the best education because it's going to give them the foundation that they need to build upon and live their life. Which ends up being the least restrictive environment for the philosophy. And we can't make a philosophy more important than a child. Least restrictive is for the individual person. You know, it's not least restrictive period. It's for that particular kid. You know, in, uh, in one of my classes, I did a paper on the Olmstead decision and how when you apply that to education, it can be detrimental to children who are blind or children who are deaf. And the teacher was like astounded. And she's like, I never thought of it that way. And, you know, it goes beyond that. I mean, we watched this movie in that class where this child who was nonverbal and, you know, really had a low cognitive functioning level, you know, how much is he really relating to these other children? And in the movie, they have video of him like, you know, climbing over a railing because he was so frustrated and he couldn't articulate what he needed and what he wanted. And how was he learning from this? Mm. And, you know, really what they wound up doing with him is finding a job for him to do in the school. But it had to get to that point, you know, and if somebody didn't say like, this is what we need to do, we need to give him a job, we need to give him a task, where would that child have been? Mm-hmm. So, you know, least restrictive is you still have to really take the needs of the child into consideration. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, no, we'll hope, we hope you will be involved in whatever happens as we begin tentative baby steps in creating this mentoring program that depends so much on affiliates and thank you for what you did and thank you for opening your wallet because sometimes (laughs) that's the i mean i I am i am i did not know that and i'm truly astounded and grateful thank you everybody thanks anthony for taking this extra time too Absolutely. I know Byron had a question or two and then we'll close it out for the day. Thank you all for for spending extra time with us. Actually, there's one other hand. So I'm going to, I'm just going to step back and let somebody else take it. Uh, Melody. Hello. I, I dated a TBI back in 2005. She had moved to Guam from Iowa to pursue the profession and we would have long discussions. We had a 15 hour time difference. We would talk about how she wanted more time with each student. She would do one-on-ones and had a whole spectrum of ages and visual impairment plus um, additional disabilities. And you could talk about the happy medium where you don't want to tell a child they are incapable and they can't because of this and that, because they'll feed right into it. On the flip side, you don't want to force independence. And I ran into this with, with 
the Ohio State School for the Blind, you pull out a, an incorrect hand or you 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 miss you you, you braille a an E instead of a D or whatever and make a mistake and it's just the end of the world. We get so much and we internalize that impact and we would have discussions for hours because we we met through a mental health support group and we both had this additional, you know, these issues going on and we were both opposite. Her independence was forced and she had a setback and is now cared for. And I, you know, so it's that happy medium. I would love to participate in a men- mentorship program because I, I've got to make sure parents, when they're saying, oh, I hope, I want my child to meet other blind adults. I'm now asking mine, did you, did you really hope? So, you know, I would love to, that happy medium is so hard to find. Okay. Thank That's you. That's awesome. Wonderful. Yeah. All right, everyone. Byron, um, I think we've done a great job here today. Do you want to throw out a question or two? Oh, sure. I just kind of wanted to, um, Melody actually uh, sort of went into a direction that, that I was kind of going to go into. Uh, kids will absolutely feed into whatever they're given. And my example of, of what I went through is a good one. Um, so in preschool and, and, and pre, uh, what do you call that? Pre, pre first or whatever, where they give you an extra grade uh, before first, uh, they decided that I was not, it was not appropriate for me to learn Braille because my parents um, resisted that idea. They thought that, you know, because I had low vision, that I didn't need Braille. And so we proceeded through first grade without Braille. And I got to fourth grade struggling with, with large print. And it was decided at fourth after fourth grade, when I switched school districts for junior high or whatever, I guess, elementary school, uh, when I switched to fifth grade, they thought, you know, he's really struggling. Let's put him in a self-contained special education class. And that was the oh. wrong move, in my opinion, because I went from having a teacher that would be at the front of the class explaining stuff to being in a class where I, I was given a packet on Monday and if I finished that packet by Thursday afternoon or Friday morning, I got to participate in watching a movie on Friday. And, you know, so when numbers wow. showed up in my math, right, I'm like, what the hell are num- letters doing in my math? This is weird. <laughs> no one explained it to me. It was just left to kind of figure it out. Um, and so I think there are countless kids that that they will feed into, well, it's it's easier, like I don't have to work as hard, I'm not having to read as much anymore, I'm not having to struggle with all of the mainstream kids. Um, so yeah, okay, I guess I'll take it. Uh, and then they get to high school and graduate from high school and try to go to college and they're way behind in like their math, st- my math stuff specifically, they're way behind in a, t- in a specific s- uh, subject or multiple subjects. And they go, hmm, well, that's weird. <laughs> you know, and that's because they feed into it. They don't, they don't necessarily want to do the work either. They're kids. They're going to take the easy way out if they can. And if the parents, <laughs> and the teachers aren't making them do it, uh, then they're just going to sort of chill out. And that's what happened to me. Yeah. I taught a student that came from the, the public school system and, and it, it was kind of that way. I mean, he, during his like fifth grade year, all he had to do was, you know, copy words out of the dictionary and the definitions. And, you know, I mean, he just really missed out on, and it kind of kept him behind eventually, you know, graduated from college and, you know, stuff, but still struggled, you know, with, with writing and, you know, spelling and just, anyways, just, that's a bad situation. Yes. I have to wonder how many, you know, it's, it's a theoretical question, but I have to wonder how many lives 
you know, all of you have directly impacted. Um, just hearing, just hearing the conversation today, Donna, you know, you, you must have impacted so many people. Lori, Debbie, I know you, I know the two of you mm-hmm. do. Claire, it, it's a mentorship program, Chris. I, I can't think of something that would, that would be more impactful and more beneficial if we, if we could find a way to launch it the right way and make sure that we really get the buy-in and we really, a grant would probably do a lot to help. Um, you know, I, I speak with JoLynn Bailey Page often. Um, I'm gonna kind of run it by her to see what um, foundations out there would, would be good for something like this. That's a little bit down the road, but you know, knowing, you know, knowing who to kind of not, you know, what doors to knock on um, is never a bad thing. But uh, if you guys you, get Chris, the chance, that- just if you guys get the chance watch the movie it is described we described it um called do you dream in color oh i've i've seen that i mean it's good i i would i would would listen to it again though doesn't it just doesn't it just just yeah get to you oh my god it's about it's about a, a a like three or four blind young people um uh high school age who through various factors don't have the resources that they need or are told they can't or are you know all of these different things we've been talking about it's an incredible movie and it it almost made me give up audio engineering and go try to be a tvi because i was so mad is that the one that caitlin hernandez wrote uh no no she wasn't in it this had uh oh no i said wrote wrote it she wrote she wrote I'll, uh, I'll look it up. I think she wrote it, but never. No, this important. is a this is not a fictional. This is a documentary. Okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah. Do you? Where can we find it, Chris? Uh, you can find it on Amazon Prime Video. Yeah, awesome. Um, it's it's just. I mean, wow! It made me mad as a blind person watching what has happened. All right, everyone. Um, what a great, I, I, what a great conversation. Byron, you have the credentials. You can go in, or do you need me to send you the file? Nope, I can just go on in and get awesome. it. All right, everyone, have a great Sunday. Um, and if any emails come through, I will pass them along. Oh, I should have said hello to Katie. Um, but I'm really glad that I AFP Connect was mentioned a bunch of times they've got some great great resources too <laughs> wonderful if anyone talks to if anyone talks to katie tell her um thank you for me <laughs> all right everyone thank Happy you Sunday. take care Thanks, anthony <laughs> bye <laughs>